Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Sean Amirati, venture capitalist, professor at Carnegie Mellon University's Business School, entrepreneur, and an observer of what's going on in the digital world today, always with some interesting ideas. Sean, welcome. We're delighted to have you back. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here. Sean is part of our Digital All-Star series and is with us every month under the theme of Amirati on Innovation. So, Sean, there's some interesting things going on today. And as you look at the worlds of not only startups, but also how big companies are trying to remake themselves, recast themselves into the digital business world, there's a couple things come top to mind for you today. What, what are you thinking about these days? Yeah, so, I mean, it's been an interesting month for sure, I think, um, you know, one of the questions that we had talked about last time a little bit, and I think after that recording came out, there were a couple of good stories that even further illustrated this point, is that innovation is not relegated simply to 20-something small brand new companies, but that large companies are able to leverage their assets and their unfair competitive advantages to play in this. And between when we recorded that episode and today, Disney had their investor day and actually announced uh, the Disney Plus streaming offering um, that they were coming out with, which is has been framed by a lot of people as the kind of quote unquote Netflix killer, right? And to me, the interesting thing about what's happened there is um, the reaction from Wall Street, tech journalists, all these different groups has been incredibly positive. Um, and I think it's because all of a sudden people are realizing like, hey, Disney is going to take the advantages that they have. They have content that nobody else does. They have um, they, they have sort of some moats that, that give them actual real leverage in these negotiations. And then they're going to actually take a playbook out of these more digitally native companies, right? Um, and so they're going to actually build direct relationships with their end customers. They're going to switch their business model from transactional to, subs to more of a subscription model, right? These are things that, um, you know, you and I have been talking about for, for years with, with lots of legacy companies under the category of this, this handle kind of quote unquote digital transformation. Um, but it's hard every time someone steps up and tries to that you've got to re-educate Wall Street on how to think about your financial metrics because you know it turns out gap accounting is not that similar to subscription <laughs> accounting, right? And so you've got to, you, you know, and I think to, to be fair, that's an easier challenge than it was a few years ago. Um, I remember years ago when Adobe made that pivot, how, what, a, what a struggle that was to say like, we're, gonna, we're going to make less money next quarter and you should be excited about that, right? And I mean, their, their stock went through kind of a full J curve there as they walked people through it. I, I think what was encouraging is, you know, investor day I think was, was Thursday evening, Friday morning, there was just a massive jump in the, the Disney stock as all of a sudden these pieces that you'd watched leadership put together for a while kind of came into to, to sort of a full mosaic picture. Um, and not only did, did Disney stock shoot up, but you know, this arch competitor Netflix, like um, although they've come back a little bit with decent earnings, they, they took a hit right away. And, and I think it's just, I'm hoping that other CEOs in other boardrooms are taking note of this and asking themselves the same questions. You know, how do we create products and services that transform our relationships with our customers to, to um, allow us to have that same type of, of growth mindset? Sean, but 
you know, the, uh, as you said, the, the quote unquote uh, Netflix killer, the Disney's unleashed here. But I thought that, you know, over the last two or three years, I thought Netflix was going to kill Disney. So, right. you know, who's the, uh, who's the Vic and who's the perp here, you know? It, it was, so, so I think that's the interesting thing here, right? Is that we, we have, we've gotten to a point where we assume, hey, if, if, you're, if you're a company that was born in the digital age, if you're, you know, and, 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 you've, and you've gone through the full capital formation prospect and gotten out and gotten public, you, you, must, have, you, you must have certain things in your DNA that make you the only organization who can win a market, right? I mean, uh, we were talking um, just offline a, a week or so ago about uh, the grocery industry, right? And you know, people say, well, Amazon's coming into grocery, so I'm sure Amazon's going to be the, the, the winner in that business. Maybe, but then you see you know, the largest grocery chain in the United States partnering with Microsoft to actually, to, to actually you know, instead of be reactive, be proactive into that, right? There, companies can, can actually play in this business that weren't born, you know, in the last 30 years. Um, and so, so I, think, I think Disney is a great illustration of that. Now, uh, Disney needs to continue to execute. Uh, they're going to need to actually finish the, the vision that they cast. They gotta, they've got to launch these. They've got to make it work. They've got to pick the right partners. Um, I, I would love to have been I, I don't actually know the answer to this. You may have given some of your connections. My intuition is that they're probably not using Amazon for uh, the, the streaming. Uh, I, I bet they're not using AWS and EC2. That, that would be my, my intuition on it. I, there's a little bit of, you know, the, you, you don't want your, your enemy to also be your, be your friend <laughs> on that stuff, right? Yeah. So they have to pick the right partners. Um, but, I, but I mean, I think, it, I really think this, in a couple of years will be a case study lots of executives point to and say, man, we can do it in the same way that the Adobe thing has been for the, you know, how to be a CFO in this subscription economy world we live in. Sean, you know, the, 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 all those points you raise are, are, are perfectly online. And as you've said, you want it to be in some ways inspiring or a case study or a, just another boost of confidence to CEOs saying, we can do this. You know, we've got assets that these newer companies can only dream about. But Think about, right, the business model. Everybody looks at Netflix as if they were, you know, born as this, you know, incredibly successful creative company. Their original business model, right, was we'll use FedEx to send you overnight as many right. DVDs as you want. They, I mean, they started off as a, what would that be, like a bulk wholesaler in some that's, ways. That's right. That's right. But, but so I think to be fair, the, the interesting thing, right, is that, there are certain things I believe that Netflix to their core understands that these large companies need to get. So this is not an exhaustive list, but as I was thinking through it, um, I think that they, they understand the value of an actual relationship with an end customer. This will start to give Disney that same type of data. Um, they're fine thinking about niches. Even the fact that Disney Plus is not one bundled offering, but it's a number of offerings. So like to me, that's really, that's a, that's really encouraging. Um, they're okay with disintermediating uh, their revenue and they think about M&A strategically, right? So, so to me is that you think about this stuff, like they've done that well, and then they've, they've also taken this business model evolution and, and done that really well. I think what's interesting for other executives if they're, if they're thinking about this is like, okay, how do we do that if I'm sitting in a large grocery chain or I'm sitting in a large 
a, you know, aluminum manufacturer, or I'm sitting in a large automotive company, right? What's, what's my, what's my version of Disney plus, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and certainly that's things that we've been looking at for a long time at the corporate startup lab over the last couple of years. And we have tools and thoughts around that. Um, but another part of it that's really important is you need to think about how you manage your technology relationships as well. Right. And so we were also talking, um, about SP, they just had their earnings announcement early this morning, right? And I think they've done a good job not only doing the same things themselves that Disney's doing, where they're, um, they're sort of reinventing themselves as, as a next generation software company instead of a, a legacy enterprise software company. You know this, you know their story as well as I do, but so I think they're doing it themselves, but with this Qualtrics acquisition now, right? They now have they now have actual tools that they can hand to their customers and say, "You want to get closer to your customers? Here, here's a hammer that you can use to to build that house." And I think that's I I think you know I I think the value of that transaction buying Qualtrics is not yet appreciated. Sean, I think that's that's right on the mark, right? You know, because uh, I, I always think it's so interesting of all the big software companies or big tech companies that would have had the vision. And I think in some ways the guts to pay $8 billion right. for Qualtrics. What's so interesting is that of all of them, it was SAP, right? You know, the right. prototypical company, if you think about where they came from, of, you know, order, precision, internally oriented, you know, the software that's runs right. everything, right? And that's so they- right they not only brought a new capability into the company, they're changing the culture, they're changing the vision, they're changing the market's perception of who they are. What I think is fascinating, in some ways, you know, I don't know that this has been articulated specifically too much, but part of the uh, vision or the aspiration of the enterprise software business for a long time was to take all these different point solutions and combine them into a 360 thing. If SAP pulls this off right, they've done that. They've connected supply chain and demand chain in ways nobody else has ever touched. But that's exactly right. I, I, so I think, I think that gives them an amazing runway, right? I mean, that, that's, that's a platform that's, that's legacy-defining for the, the executive suite there, if the, to your point, if they pull it off. And, and you know, M&A is hard. So, uh, and this was a big one and and the larger they are the the harder it is to so 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 i'm not trying to be pollyannish here like this is it's going to be there i am sure there are days ahead that are going to be a lot of work for that that c-suite um but if they could pull that off that that gets really exciting i think the other part of it though man if i was them the thing i'd start thinking about next is how do i also start giving my clients the frameworks given all these tools to do what Disney's doing. If like when you think digital trans, like when, if you think about this sort of moonshot digital transformation and an enterprise software company is part of the stack of what comes up in that, um, that's, I mean, that's sort of the equivalent of like the software with the, with the line through it. Uh -huh. As I just, as an outsider look at the pieces, like, man, they've got a path to doing that. I, I, I would love to see them flesh that out because that could be, first of all, I think the world needs it. Like we talked about this last time, the world needs these legacy companies 
to continue to innovate, we, we, can't, we can't relegate innovation to a subset of the economy and a subset of society. Like that is, that is incredibly, incredibly dangerous along lots of levels. So independent of what's good for SAP stock and all that stuff, which uh, obviously they're good German executives, I'm sure they're very concerned about that as they should be. Independent of all of that though, as a professor sitting in a, you know, wear my professor hat, not my venture capital hat for a moment. Just for society, somebody needs to do that. It feels like they're putting the pieces together. And if they, if they position it the right way, that could be magical, absolutely magical. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsor. SAP Experience Management is helping businesses connect to their customers and then connect customers back to those businesses. Just listening to your customers is not enough. Businesses need to respond, react, and relate to them as individuals. Each one of them has his or her own likes, dislikes, and preferences. By combining experience data with operational data, SAP can help your business turn customer insights into actions that make their experiences better. SAP Experience Management helps you turn customers into fanatics and products into obsessions. Learn more at sap.com xm. The best on SAP. Now back to the show. Sean, I, I, again, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think that, that, that you know, uh, innovation needs to be everywhere. It needs to uh, be something that nobody, no company leader feels like, well, that's beyond what I can do. And here's a couple examples. Um, I, think I saw Goodyear uh, Tire and Rubber invented 1898, and they are working, they've been working with Microsoft on some new things. Hearing their CIO talk about it, <clears throat> she talks a lot about Yes, the word tire is in our name, and it's certainly been a part of who we've been and who we are. But she said, we're also imagining a world beyond tires, mm -hmm. when the connection to the world is not our tires connecting cars to the road, but all those things that go around it. And one of the other points that she made that I thought was very powerful is she said, it's easy to say for a company to say, we have to put the customer at the center of everything we do. I, I think that's an incredibly important thing to say, and I, she right. clearly does too, but then how then do you do that? And so she said, we have to give not just salespeople or marketing or customer service, we have to give every single person in the company the ability for them to see and position and enhance that customer experience, putting them at the center of it. And that's, I think, one of the key things that these executives you talk about and in big companies, mid-sized companies have to be able to grasp. That's right, and, and, and language matters, right? So even, <laughs> even her acknowledging and then attacking that, hey, tires in our name matters. A group that, that I do a lot of work with here, Bosch, they, they renamed their automotive division, which is their largest division, their mobility division, right? And on some level, that's just like, you can argue that's just semantics and, and whatever, but I think there's actually, there's, there's, there's a lot of implications around the handles that you're giving your employees to, to work with here. Because, you know, these are large organizations, which is a huge asset if you can do it the right way. It's sort of like the MA point earlier. Like if you take advantage of them, it becomes a huge asset. If you don't, you know, it, it slows you down, it becomes a burden, all that kind of thing. Um, so, so I think that's interesting. I also think the fact that you said it's not the good years trying to do this by themselves. But the Goodyear's partnering is is meaningful here. You know, when I, I talk to executives a lot about this, I say, look, I think that the right approach is some blend of doing some stuff internal, figuring out the right strategic partnerships, and then doing a little bit of strategic MA, right? And so sort of 
do partner by. And as you sort of, yeah. if you can figure, and, and, and it's not that there's not a formula that's the one size fits all there, but if you can do a little bit of each of those and do it well, um, you, you're really positioning yourself to, to do this one. I think, um, you know, the, the, the tech companies are great partners. I think universities are great partners. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of entities that become really helpful thought partners in that middle of those three categories. Yeah, Sean, along those lines, I, the, the partnering thing, I wanted to mention one idea to you, and then I want to be sure to also include a Larry Ellison quote about Disney. And um, the partnership thing, again, I, I think one of the reasons I've been so impressed about Microsoft and what it's doing these days and why it's been number one on the Cloud Wars top 10 for yep. more than a year, their technology advancement has been you know, very, very impressive, but equally impressive, I think, is their go-to-market business. Yeah. So Microsoft has developed some pretty interesting programs where they tell their customers, you create a piece of technology around Azure, and if you want, you, you know, of course, use it internally. If you want, our salespeople will help you plan out how you can sell it to other people. Right. So when you mentioned Kroger's a couple minutes ago about in the grocery chain business, Kroger, of course, sells groceries. Kroger also now sells software to other retailers. Right. Right. Now, three years ago, four years ago, if you went in and proposed that to somebody, you either would have been laughed out or, or something. So there's a huge shift in now what these partners represent. One Microsoft executive said, it's so funny, for 40 years, we made this stuff and our partners sold it. Said right. now our partners are starting to make stuff and we, Microsoft, sell it. So it's... A whole new world, right? That's right. Now, this, I mean, so first of all, just on the Microsoft <clears throat> thing for a minute, like, is is anybody a better candidate for CEO of the decade? I mean, like, the the transformation there has been has been it's kind of mind boggling. I mean, think about what what he took over versus where Microsoft sits today. And I don't mean any. I'm not trying to take any shots at. And, but I mean, it, it's, it's, that was, that was just, that was awesome. I mean, that was just yeah. that's fantastic. Right. Um, but I think, I think he's done my, my sense is it, and again, you, you spend more time with these tech execs than I do, but from the outside looking at it, it feels like he's done, he's, he's changed the culture internally. He's changed their approach to, to, um, to how they think about partnering. And then, I mean, the LinkedIn acquisition was brilliant. I mean, just absolutely brilliant. And because LinkedIn is LinkedIn, um, it's the most public disclosure I've ever seen on, on exactly how brilliant it really was. I mean, anybody with a, a little bit of IQ can go back and read the disclosure from LinkedIn and actually figure out not just what Microsoft is in that, but you can see other ones who, who you know, oh, well, that's what Salesforce was doing. And I mean, you can, it was, it was a great, it was a great move by those guys, right? And, and um, I've got to imagine um, when, when you fast forward, right, the combination of having the built-in professional network that they do, plus this partner first mentality, um, I think um, they, they are going to flip a lot of these, these businesses on their head to go ahead and actually come in and say like, let's help you with this, with this transformation. I would hardly endorse that, uh, you know, your notion about Satya Nadella and the job he's done. But if you think about it too, right, but to say, oh, well, you know, he, what he did was obvious. No, it wasn't. Because I think if you looked at Microsoft before him, 
they would have fallen into exactly the type of category of some of these big troubled, you know, legacy companies right. from other industries. They were struggling, sort of swarming, you know, where do I go? How do I go? Trying to do the same things they used to do a little bit better, a little bit cheaper, instead of reorienting themselves and re repackaging this. And I guess in some ways, what I find so exciting and interesting about your point with Disney and how they took all of those extraordinary assets they had was the Larry Ellison quote I wanted to mention to you. So in uh, you know, a, one of the books about him, there's an anecdote in there that uh, a, a fairly high level executive at Oracle had left and gone to work at Yahoo. And um, he ran into Larry somewhere and, and he said, so this guy's at Yahoo, you know, 10 years ago and 12 years ago. And uh, he says, oh, hey, Larry, you know, these, I'd love to get your advice. Disney called us up and said they want to talk to us at Yahoo about doing something together. What do you think? And Larry says, huh, what do I think? Let's see. Disney's one of the best known brands in the world. Their theme parks are incredible. Their movies are great. You know, they got this and this, the biggest content library in yeah. the world, blah, 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 blah. That's what Disney has. Yahoo has free email. So, you know, said, has the world gone crazy? So, <laughs> you know, part of his notion was that these big companies, because they're, they're not always the shiny new object, we tend to think of like, ah, they're done, they're over the hill, this or that. And I think very much the case at Microsoft was Nadella came in and said, we've got a lot of fantastic raw material here. We just haven't put it together in the right ways. And then aspirationally, maybe we've lost a little bit of our nerve. We've got to get out and not just talk about being lead, we've got to lead. Yeah. I, I remember, um, I remember this was uh, probably 10 years ago. Um, it, you were at you were at Information Week at the time, who helped put on the the Web 2.0 summit every year. And I remember being at the bar at the W after like the first night of the Web 2.0 summit. And I ended up sitting down and hanging out with four Microsoft executives who were all like super. You could tell like really smart, really talented people. But like by the the second drink in, I just said to them, "Hey guys, like." Like, and I, I meant this like one of three of them, I think, took it well. One took it a little insulting, but I, I but you know, you're we were having a good time in my mind. <laughs> I think it's like, I got to ask you, like, why do you work at Microsoft? Like, I, like, I, you seem really smart, really talented. Like, there's a lot of interesting companies out there. Like, what, what keeps you at a place like Microsoft? And, and it was interesting, as smart as these guys were, like, they really, really struggled to articulate a reason. That like that they were excited to go to work every day for Microsoft, right? Um, I was recently at a different uh, sort of tech gathering, and I was with a couple of Microsoft guys, and I was thinking about that thing. These guys were like buzzing about <laughs> how exciting it. Like you didn't need to prompt them; like they couldn't <laughs> wait to tell you about how Microsoft was taking this technology and applying it to the enterprise, and taking that technology. Like it, like the the culture shift there is just noticeable from the outside looking in and i think it's contagious and i think that contagiousness is actually how you see them walk into a place like kroger and help those those entities bring the same kind of reinvention to themselves if you will which i think is is it's, it's gonna I mean, it's gonna be a fun couple of years to watch these these things ripple out now so it's awesome Sean, if I could uh, maybe close with a thought here uh, exactly along those lines uh, bill and i were uh, did an interview a few weeks ago with a, an executive from Guardian Life Insurance Company, founded in 1860. Executive VP, Chief of Operations, and CIO. 
and he described how he's tried to create a culture of innovation within the company. So they do these, uh, you know, things that involve shark tanks and other stuff. But he said a recent one uh, focused, you know, broadly on how can we make the customer experience better? He yep. said uh, the company has 9,500 employees, more than 5,000 participated in this sort of innovation jam coming forward like that. And ultimately he said, you know, a lot of people think that buying and selling life insurance has to be painful or it has to be boring. It has to be drudgery. He said, I don't think it does. He said, I think we can make this delightful and pleasurable. Yep. When you got executives at companies that are, you know, were founded before the civil war who are willing to think that way. And he talked about the type of talent they're able to bring in now that their mindset has shifted. Yep. It's not about what we've done in the past. It's about where the customers are going in the future. All things are possible. Yeah. I mean, just, just to sort of wrap on that with you for a moment as, as we sort of wrap this up. Um, the thing I think that's powerful about what you just said is, um, I mean, we, look, because of what I do at CMU, I, I do a, quite a bit of like the, the rubber chicken circuit, like, hey, we, we want to, you know, please come talk to our team about being more innovative. And I, I've seen lots of different approaches to, to, to these general initiatives, right? For what it's worth, I'm I'm personally very skeptical of the Shark Tank like things, and maybe it worked well for them. But in in general, I feel like that's that's dangerously copying the wrong things from startups. So the the question you have to ask yourself is this mindset you're trying to infuse. Like, what are the right first principle things to copy? And and I think pitching and getting your employees good at pitching is is actually not a not a muscle that if I were choosing which muscles to build in my culture, that, that would not be high on my list for what it's worth. On the other hand, being customer centric, like you're talking about, is the first muscle that I would build in these organizations. And um, I think what's great is when execs have the fortitude to experiment with a lot of these different things and actually see what works in their culture and, and actually copy the right things, like being customer centric, that kind of stuff. Like the, the easy ones to pick on are like when they go you know, tour Silicon Valley for a week mm -hmm. and like come back and they're like, hey, we'll put a ping pong table in the corner over there and, and then we'll, we'll be just like Google. You know, that's, 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 that's the extreme example of copying the wrong thing. I yeah. think, the, um, I think the, the Shark Tank style pitches aren't, aren't great, but man, if you can change and make your organization customer centric like that, you really do open up some, some opportunities for real transformation there, which is just super exciting. It's cool to see a company like, like a life insurance company actually flushing yeah. that out. So Sean, the final, final thought, yeah. tying SAP back into this, I believe that one of the other things that will come out of the Qualtrics acquisition as they connect that supply chain and demand chain, as Bill McDermott says, the X's and O's, I think it's going to finally obliterate what I think is one of the biggest obstacles to this type of transformation that you are encouraging companies to, and that is these notions of front office and back office. Yes. I think that is killer, deadly, devastatingly bad language. That's right. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, you're, you're better with words than me, but it feels like that's right. But SAP is still figuring out the right narrative to articulate that. Like, not that they don't know the strategy, but the narrative around that strategy, right? Um, but man, like as people grasp that and run with that, it's going to be really exciting to see how that transforms these industries, which is awesome.
Well, Sean, thank you. This is great as always. Uh, you know, your perspectives are are fresh. They're they're optimistic and they're enthusiastic about what has to happen. But I think also, you know, the other side of it is talk goes only so far. At some point, you know, people have to crank that into action. They got to have the courage and the will right. and the fortitude to get out and get after this. So thanks so much. This is terrific. Thank you, Bob. This is great. And thanks all of you folks for tuning in. Uh, Sean will be back with us next month for another episode of Amirati on Innovation. Thanks for joining us here on Cloud Wars Live. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.